don't like to be doom and gloom. I'm not that type of person, but I'm also not somebody that says, well, everything's going to be great. Everything's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Uh, we're all going to be blessed. And, and I do believe God wants to bless us. And I believe that God is blessing on his heart. But friends, we're living in momentous times. And I believe we're living in dangerous, perilous times. And, and I'm not trying to frame the message today in terms of that. But, you know, I, I don't believe that it's all bluff, all this nuclear stuff, the threat of nuclear war. I don't believe it's all bluff. I had a very vivid uh, dream, which I've shared with you in the past, about that years ago. And I know that listening to other prophetic voices right now are saying that the potential for this is very real. Now, whether or not it's a possible future or whether or not it's now we've gone past a point of no return and it's going to happen. Um, but we have to believe that even if it does happen, there will be minimal effects. You can't, to say that about nuclear war is almost a joke, isn't it? Because minimal effects, what does that mean? Well, really what it means is it won't come near me because wherever it does break out, if it breaks out, you know, it's annihilation. And it's, it's a terrible thing. So it's not. I'm not saying to you today, pray to avert it. What I'm saying to you today is we need to be serious-minded people that we're found uh, on our faces before the Lord. We're found in the throne room of God right now. That's, that's where we should be. Anyway, let's continue. And what I want to look at today is well, we've looked at this in the past, but I just felt the Lord wanted to bring another aspect of it, another facet, another way of looking at it. So if we turn to Isaiah chapter 60, because we're going to be looking today at the kingdom of kings or reigning in life as kings. We're called to reign in life as kings, where it says, Romans chapter 5, that we reign in life through the one Jesus Christ, that word reign in the Greek means to reign as a king. And in fact, I think some, some translations just put that in, reign as kings in life. And that's what God wants for us. And let me just say this, it's needed now more than ever. Okay? We can't afford to just put up with what's going on in the earth. We have to change it. If we can, and I believe we can, because Scripture gives warrant for that. Um, so Isaiah chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. That's where we are. There is darkness covering the earth right now. The kingdom of darkness has made a major, launched a major offensive. Now it's always been there, and it's always been a problem, as we know. The decline of civilization, and I'm talking about Christian civilization, over decades is evidence of that. Now I got saved 40 years ago, and I remember a different world, and I remember a different Christian world. Far more churches, the church having far more influence. And even in the last few days, the, the, the biggest church in Glasgow has been slaughtered by our media and, and its pastor, utterly eviscerated by the media. And the reason for that is that darkness is covering the earth. And gross darkness, the people. But you see, it's in that time and in that season and in that scenario that the glory starts to shine. And starts to be seen. Behold the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness the people. There's two things to see here. There's darkness among, in the kingdom of men. But it actually says darkness shall cover the earth. It's not just the people. The territory. The land. The earth. You know, I think if you were to be taken right now. If, if, you, if you could get a time machine. And go back 40 years to 1982, and just be left for 50 minutes, they were a different atmosphere. Amen? When you, and brought you back, you would say, oh, it's far more dark and oppressive, there's something, because the earth, there's darkness on the earth. But look what it says, God's answer, but the Lord, but Yahweh, 
will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. God's answer to darkness in the earth is manifest glory. And that glory manifest in and upon his people. Amen. So you, part of your praying should be, Lord, let your glory be seen upon me. Let your glory be manifest in the earth. You know, when God answers that prayer, he doesn't come and put a big uh, circle of light over the top of your church. He does. He puts his glory on you. You're his house. And if glory is going to be seen in the earth, it's going to be seen in the house of God. And you're the house. Your body temple is a container and a host for the glory of God. Do you know your body was made, created, designed to, to host the presence of God and manifest the glory of God. You know, we get a little bit negative in Christian circles about our body. We talk about the flesh and, and we, we tend to see the body as something horrible and nasty and evil and vile. Folks, your body is the temple. It's what you do with that temple. Now you can, you can hand your body over to substance abuse and all kinds of abuse, but if you surrender your body to the Lord, then it will be a vessel of fire and glory, a temple that God can dwell in and that people can see that glory manifest in you. The nations shall come to your light and tend to the brightness of your rising. We covered this over several weeks. But the Lord keeps taking us back to this. The nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. We have to have multitudes, nations, and kings on our mind. Amen. It's not just, oh, we're happy, you know, just a few of us meeting in the church, having a nice wee breakfast. Um, you know, as long as there's enough to keep the meeting going. Friends, multitudes. Amen. When I was a teenager and I used to go up in my room, the Lord used to give me visions of multitudes. The Lord showed me the time we're living in and showed me multitudes. Multitudes coming into the kingdom. Okay? Myriads and myriads and throngs and crowds and flocks of people. That my house may be filled. Amen? Amen. I gave the charge to two students um, at the Bible College graduation. And that was the verse the Lord gave me for both of them because they're both quite active in street evangelism. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come and why? That my house may be filled. Let me tell you right now, if there's an empty seat in our church, any, if, if every seat is filled but one is empty, our job is not yet complete. Our ministry is not yet over. And folks, there are far too many churches, including this one, where there are more empty seats than filled seats. And that ought to be something that we say, Lord, we're not satisfied. I said this, to, I think, to you the other day. We've got to have standing room only churches. Come early or you won't be sit, sitting down. Amen. Amen. Or bring your big uh, cushion. <laughs> and you can sit on the floor, but, you know. Friends, we've got to start getting this mindset. Nations coming, kings coming. And this is, the Lord showed me a few things about this in the last few days. That's what I want to share this morning. Kings coming to the brightness of your eyes. And we covered this before, but I'm going to say it again. Why would kings come to you? Why would nations come to your light? Well, they're, they're coming to Jesus. They're coming to, to, to the Lord, yes. But that's, that's understandable. Okay? Because people out there don't have a life. That's not saying that arrogantly. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Amen? Uh, you, you know, he that hath the Son hath life. He that doesn't have the Son has nothing. So you can understand that people in this day and age, with all that's going on and the fear, like, like Sister Pearl prayed about, the fear that's out there, you can understand why people say, I need something in my life. And those folks down at Gangad, those folks uh, at Victory or the church you go to, you can understand why they say they must have something. But why would kings come? Why would kings come? That's what we're going to look at this morning. 
Because here's why kings would come. Because they recognize something in you that is of kingly value. It's that simple. Kings are not going to hang around the barras to do their shopping. Amen. You're not going to meet kings in the chippy. Amen. They're not going to go to the drop-in cafe. Now we can talk about why we should, uh, why kings should come. Why, why we're sent to kings. But you know, we don't need to question it because the word of God says we are. The word of God says kings are coming. You read further on this chapter, it says, nations, kings are coming. <coughs> you know, we often talk about Paul, the apostle Paul. Who was Paul sent to? Oh, he was sent to the Jews. He was sent to his own people. Yes. Uh, he was sent later to, he was sent to the Gentiles. Yes. But there's a third people group that Paul was said to go and look up in the book of Acts. Kings. So if you want to be like Paul, if Paul's a prototype Christian, and you say, well, your Paul is the example to follow, then that means you're sent to Israel, the nations, and kings. All right? Now, why would kings come to you? Now, I'm going to tell you a story. The Lord woke me in the middle of the night and was speaking to me about this. And it's, we were talking about that program that was on last night. About the 1978 Argentina World Cup, Scotland. The epic failure. Amen. And I remember that time very vividly as, as a young boy, 14-year-old boy. I know that's hard to believe. Um, those of you who thought that I was born in the 90s or something. But I remember it very vividly. And yes, it did damage Scotland, the, the national psyche and all that. But, but I'm, I'm remembering it for different reasons, and I'm going to explain that. Because the Lord used this to illustrate to me what I'm, I'm trying to convey to you this morning. I was brought up in a, a football family. Football, my dad was you know, mad keen in football, and he passed that on to me. Passed it on to all of us, my, my sister, my mum. We all, we all have season tickets for God's team. Okay? If I need to tell you who God's team is, then you, you need deliverance. Okay, you, you, you need the scales to fall from there. But we all had season tickets. But, but and we were a, a foot, I was football mad, my dad was football mad, but my dad wasn't football mad like most people. Okay? Um, my dad was quite an ambitious man, born into extreme poverty, but, you know, really wanted to get on in life. And he combined that with his love for football. See, my dad wasn't content to just be a fan. Amen. My dad wanted to be involved in the world of football. And, you know, I think he, had a, he probably had sharper elbows than I noticed. But eventually he got his wish and, and he became friendly with certain players. And eventually, um, when I was uh, about 15, my dad started his own business and we got involved as consultants to the SFA. Fundraising consultants uh, and that sort of market and that type of thing. And in fact, we, we helped to raise funds for the New Hamden, the one that's there just now. That was, that was our principal job. And so, my dad wasn't just, well, I go to watch the Rangers and we went to Scotland games, we were talking about that. And, you know, football in general. And eventually my dad became an agent. He's quite a well-known football agent. And he was George Best's agent and various other famous players and so on. Mo Johnson. Mo Johnson, yeah. And many others. But the thing about it was, I'm a 15-year-old boy and I started working for my dad. I was still at school, but I was working for my dad during the summer holidays, all of this. And this is what the Lord showed me. I picked up my dad's mindset and, and he imparted it to me. Okay? You know, there's a word called osmosis. It moves maybe through that. It just, I picked it up. But, but, but my, my dad 
uh, implanted in me this concept of that, like him, I was meant to be involved in the world of football. I, you, I worked for him, and by extension, worked for the SFA and so on. So the Argentina carry on. When Scotland went to Argentina, we were going to win the World Cup. We celebrated winning the World Cup before we went and came back in disgrace. The following year, 1979, this is what the Lord was showing me the other night. 1979, Argentina visited Scotland to play a friendly game with a young Diego Maradona. Okay, And, and Argentina tore Scotland apart that day. And it was a big occasion, friendly game, but all the, the, the world superstars, they had won the World Cup the year before Argentina, so they all came to Glasgow, big occasion. So because we worked for the SFA as consultants, we, we were there as guests of the SFA. Um, and so, and I'll never forget this, the Lord showed me this. I've shared this story with you and, and others a few times. The morning of the game, we had an office in Union Street in Glasgow, right where the Cadora buildings are. And the, the Argentina team came, and it's hard to believe now, but they stayed in the Central Hotel. That was the, that was the sort of a, the closest that Glasgow had to. A, I mean, imagine putting a football team up in the, the. I mean, it's a nice hotel, but it's not at that level. So the Argentina teams were in the Central Hotel in Glasgow. And a pal of my dad's, a guy called Harry, came into the office and he, and he said, he oh, Bill, to my dad, the Argentina team, they're at the central. They're over there now, the police, you know, security, crowds, and everything. Right? My dad says, aye, aye, you know, we knew they were there. <coughs> oh, he says, you know, and my dad said to Harry, do you want to see them? Do you want to see the team? And he went, well, hi. My dad turned to me, listen, listen to what I'm saying, because this is vital. My dad turned to me, the same age as him, and said, Billy, take Harry over to see the Argentina team. Okay? A 15-year-old boy. And, and Harry's going, like, you know, why, why are you telling him? You know, my dad wasn't going to take him over. He says, Billy, take him over. And he says, oh, you'll, you'll never get near the player, the police, or the law that you're in, son, or this. My dad's like, Billy will get you in. Okay, my dad called me Billy. So I says, and, I says, and I'm 15, and I says, Dad, come on, I'll go and see them. Gallus. And, and it, it sounds like a, a gallus wee boy, but, but it's not gallusness. Because I'm going to, sorry. It means... You've got a lot of trash, cheeky, that type of thing. Was he older than you? Sorry? Oh, yeah, yeah, Harry was a grown man, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I says to Harry, come on. So we goes in to the Central Hotel, oh, please, nobody's getting in. It's the Argentina football team, the World Cup winners, nobody's getting in. So I goes up, walks through, does that with my dad's business card. With the SFA crest on it. On you go, sir. 15 year old, on you go, sir. And my dad's pal's like that, behind me. So we scan. So I watched it. Where's the Argentina team? Oh, they're upstairs uh, in such and such a suite having their team meeting for that game that, that afternoon. That they're tacked. So we go straight up the stairs, opens the door, walks in, and they've got like, the, you know, the, the boards. And they're doing all their tactics, sits down, didn't understand a word because it's all Spanish. But we sits there, does the whole thing, nobody blinks an eye, goes back to my dad's office. And Harry's going, You should have seen him, you should have seen him. He's just brings in. Now, you use that word gallus. You could say that, but here's what really happened. And this is what I want to speak to you about today. I'm just using that as an illustration. Because in my younger years, because my dad was an agent, you know, he became the most famous agent easily in Scotland. And so I sort of followed my dad's footsteps into that. 
And I, and I had what you would call gallusness about me. So I, I, I knew players. In fact, that office that we were in, Jock Steen used to come up all the time to have a cup of tea with my dad. And it was the, and he wasn't the type of man, that, you know, get me a cup of tea, son. He, he was a, a humble guy. Here's what I want to show you. This is what is really good on. This is what the Lord showed me. You mingle with and mix with people on your level. Okay? And like I said, kings are not going to the barras. Uh Nobles, dignitaries, you know, giants of industry and so on. They're not going to pre-mark. They're not going, they're not mingling. It's, it's not about class, folks. We could use the term birds of a feather flock together to, under, to let you understand it. But what I'm trying to say to you is, is if kings are going to come to the brightness of your rising, they have to recognize something in you that is kingly. Okay? And that's what I'm trying to get across with that illustration. My dad inculcated, implanted in me, whether consciously or otherwise, that I belonged in that world. Okay? That I belonged in that, the world of football. And I remember after the game that afternoon, we are in the SFA, the, you know, the, we were in the director's box and then we go down. All these Argentinians, I thought it was the president, high dignitary, that you want to see the suit this man, immaculate. And we looked like, you know, this guy who everybody's doing all this to is chasing me around the room because I had a wee badge in my lapel he wanted. You give me badge. You know, Spanish. I was like, hey, I'll think about it. Because he had in his lapel AFA badge, the Argentinian Football Association. And that was the one you got at a cracker. That was the one you got outside the stadium. This was the official Argentinian Football Association badge. And they're the World Cup winners. They're, they're the biggest. So I says, eventually I says, I give you this, you give me that. There you go. So I gave him a wee badge. Just an illustration of if you believe you belong and you know that you... See, why would kings come to the brightness of your rising? It's because you are in that realm in your thinking, your mindset. Amen? It's because you're already there and equipped in your thinking to understand, well, you know what? If Liz Truss comes out that car, or I walk into that building, and Nicola Sturgeon's there, or if Sleepy Joe is on a visit to Scotland, and I happen to bump into him, no I'm ready. Amen. Because I'm functioning at that level. Yes. See, Paul had to be ready. You know, Paul preached the gospel. But you know, we, 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 there's a lot of things about Paul we, 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 we gloss over. Paul was, it's believed, in line to be the successor to Gamaliel. The top ranking scholar in, in Judaism. Paul wasn't somebody that went to, you know, the local secondary school. He was highly trained. Amen. He could converse at that level. You know, imagine having a theological debate with Paul. And you disagree. Get ready to be handed your coat in the road out the building. Amen. I was going to say handed something else, but... We, we, our job as believers is to train, study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Imagine that you were the minister 
in a church where Queen Elizabeth or King Charles came. We have to be ready at all times, brothers and sisters. And we have to, yes, of course, we speak to, we, we speak to all classes, if you want to call them, I don't like that word. Because we're said to all men. But if you are ill-equipped and under-equipped to speak to kings and leaders, then you are not speaking to the gatekeepers of society. So you're not reaching the people that you want to help. Because one man's decision, who is over many, can change the situation for the thousands that need that intervention. And God's not going to send somebody that doesn't know him, that doesn't think like him, that doesn't speak his words. He's not going to send in some gangster uh, or criminal or, or, or drug pusher to change the thinking of somebody who's in high office so that thousands that they, they represent and are over as gatekeepers can, can, can be set free. He's going to send an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven in. And so it's incumbent upon us to do that. First uh, John chapter 4 verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, here's the thing. I mean, we, we, we taught this a lot in the rise, remember? Stevie used to touch on it. Bert in particular, myself. Talking about throne loving. Throne room loving. That's what we're called to. We're not, and it's not pop in for a visit. Listen, the Lord's not saying to you and I, come up for a visit. Be nice to see you. Come to the throne room every now and again, folks. The Bible says we're seated. Seated means you're there and you're there to stay. And you're not doing what I'm doing right now, which is pacing up and down saying, Lord, what are we going to do? Have you, seen the, have you seen what's going on in Russia and Ukraine? Oh Lord, have you seen what's happening? Have you seen what those utility companies are doing to, to the price? We're not pacing up and down because if we were, the Lord would say sit down. The word says seated with him. Not pacing up and down. The word says come boldly. That we may have boldness. Boldness where? To the throne of grace. The throne of favour. The favour of God is available. The favour of God is at the throne of God. And he's saying, if you want favour, come and take buckets of it. Because there's plenty. But don't come cowering in, oh Lord, it's okay. <coughs> Imagine your children coming in from school. Throwing themselves at your feet. Oh mother, oh mother, can I please have dinner tonight? <laughs> You'd be saying, call the pastor. This child needs delivered. Amen. <laughs> Amen. What do children do? Throw their school bag in the couch and say, dinner ready, Ma. Where's Mike? I'm hungry. Because children come boldly. Don't they? When, when, when a child comes into its own house, now, some other child did that, or some other person did that, came in sat on your sofa and says where's the dinner <laughs> it's forever you came for that's where it is but when you're a child of the house amen when, you're, when, you, when Jesus said seek first the kingdom oh what are we going to do how are we going to eat oh lord I'm, I'm, I'm eating lord I'm reduced to buying utterly butterly <laughs> Amen. The Lord pack, have you seen the price, Lord? And the Lord says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you'll be eating Lord pack, baby. All these things that you need shall be added. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first, in other words, what he's saying is. Understand that my kingdom is a kingdom of kings, not a kingdom of beggars. The many times have you heard Bert saying that? We're not beggars, we're kings. We're there because we've been called to high office. 
And then he says, and his righteousness. Now, we, 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 we tend to just see righteousness as meaning morals. That's not what he's meaning entirely there. Of course, living right is, is a big part of it. But righteousness, an old-fashioned word. Another way to put it is right standing. Amen? Now, if you're in right standing with somebody, that means you have the right to enter their presence. Amen? And be there. And get what you require there. You know, if you work for a company... Particularly, think about it, maybe working for the military or, or you used to work for the Ministry of Defence. You, you don't just, you don't walk in and go, hiya, where's your pass? I don't have one. You have no right to enter this building. You don't have the right to come in here because Everybody that's come in here signed the Official Secrets Act and you need a pass. Amen? And somebody needs to sign your pass, endorse your pass and that's what Jesus is talking about. You have to know that in the kingdom the resources, the supply belongs to you because you have a right to it. Amen? You, you have to have a right to it. Just like you can't just walk into anybody's house and say, where's my dinner? You don't have a right to do that. But you've got a right to do it. <laughs> Ellen's got to be fast. You have a right. You might have a right at your auntie's house. I had a pal when I was a boy. And he, he used to come stay with us. And he would say to my mum, Mrs. McMurdo, are you making any? You making a cup of tea? <laughs> Amen. Now my mom and dad didn't like cheeky folk, but he was he was gallus. So my mom would just go, "I will stick the kettle on." But you know, some child that's off the street had walked in and says, "Oh, Mrs. Are you putting the kettle on?" <laughs> Either me or my dad would have been asked to throw them out. Seek first the kingdom of kings. The kingdom of God that has many kings, king priests. And your right, his right granted to you, conferred upon you, imputed to you, implanted in you. His right, your right to walk in what is in the kingdom. Now, when you understand, when you have this mindset, that he's the king. He's, now all of us are going to turn around. Jesus is Lord. He's the king of kings. All hail King Jesus. Amen. But can you hear the voice of the Lord saying to you, yeah, you've worshipped me in my throne. Did you know there's a seat for you beside me? Not that we're going to worship each other, but that he lifts us out of whatever our background is. And every one of us is Adam and sin and darkness. Am I right? He lifts us out of our Adamic lostness and says, you're now a king. You're now a priest. You now function at that level. And religion will tell you, you've no right. Think about what I'm saying to you here, folks. The voice of religiosity is... You are not worthy. You don't have the right to claim these things. Well, I don't claim them. The word of God tells me they're mine. Amen. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of favor. Favor has been granted. Who's coming to get theirs? Amen. Now that doesn't mean, you know, the Bible says, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for I'm meek and lowly. Okay? So I'm talking about being a king. I'm talking about dominion. How do you reconcile the two? How can you be kingly and have dominion and walk in that and yet be meek and lowly? lowly. Here's why. It's not a contradiction. 
Being meek and lowly is proof that you are kingly. Amen? Because the king of kings is meek and lowly. Now, right now, he's exalted and we're talking about in his earth walk, of course. What he's saying is, and, and, and I ought not even have to say this, friends, but we will. Being a king, being a king priest in the order of Melchizedek, walking with dominion as we're called to, is not a call to be arrogant and lord it over others. Jesus says that's what the nation, that's how folks out there see leadership. That's why we have bad prime ministers and first ministers and all these national leaders, why they mess up, because they believe their office is a, a license to lord it over people. Amen. But the kingdom does not produce, the kingdom of God does not produce such kings. The kingdom of God produces kings who are there to serve and be meek and lowly and yet exercise dominion. The dominion you exercise, Miles Monroe said this, it's not over people, but it's over the realm that God has assigned you. We lord it over territory. We lord it over demonic principalities and powers. Yes, we don't lord it over people. That's not our calling. Revelation chapter 1. Now, now understand what I'm saying to you here. This is Revelation. What does Revelation mean? It means an unveiling. The apocalypsis. Now the apocalypse isn't about, oh the antichrist, the end times, you know, the judgments, the seals, all that. It's not about all those things that we think it means, which is, oh look, at somebody breaks wind. In the Middle East, and we see it as a prophetic sign that Jesus is coming soon, the rapture's any day now. That's not what we're talking about. The book that we call Revelation, or some people call Revelations, you, you always know someone is a spiritual illiterate when they call Revelation Revelations. I know that's not kind, but it's true. The Revelation. Tells you The book tells you in its first five words what the book's about. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's a revealing, an apocalypsis, an unveiling of who Jesus really is. Let me tell you right now, Jesus right now is not the man that walked the shores of Galilee. He's not the man that fell asleep in the back of the boat. He's not the man that hungered in the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights. He's a, he is the man of glory. He is the king of glory. He's seated at the right hand of majesty and high. And when the Bible says, as he is, so are we. He's talking about, it's talking about that Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Because we know what it's like to hunger. We know what it's like to be tempted. We know what wilderness living is like. The point is, he's calling us out of wilderness living into kingdom capacity. He's saying, you've known what it's like to be human. But I'm calling you out of the human into the superhuman. Why do you think the obsession in the world just now with all the supernatural, the occult, su superpowers, <coughs> Spider-Man, Superman, all of that. Why, why do men love all these things, crave these things, obsess with these things? Here's why. Because every human recognizes there's something greater for man. Than just this. Amen. And here's the thing. You and I have it. We don't have to get it. We already have it. You've already got it brothers and sisters. And the, the it I'm talking about. Is a hymn. It's the Lord Jesus. And you've got the Holy Ghost. Just for gravy. Amen. You've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've already got it all. You know, if you've got the king, everything in the kingdom is yours. If he didn't spare the king, his son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? All things are yours. What do you need? It's yours. Name it. Claim it. Oh, that name it, claim it gospel. Yes. It's not a name it, claim it gospel. It's Jesus' gospel. When Jesus says, hey, I've come to preach good news to the poor, guess what? There's no good news to the poor that says you stay as you are. 
There's no good news to the sinner that says, you're always going to have trouble with sin, but God loves you anyway. Bless your darling heart. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to give us a higher realm of, I am come that they might have abundant life. Life more abundant. Jesus is saying to everybody in this room right now, I believe the Spirit of God is saying, there's a higher realm, just step over. Oh, uh, how do we get it? You don't get it, it's already yours. We spend a lot of our Christian lives trying to get stuff that's already been given. That includes healing, by the way. There is a ministry of healing where healing power uh, and virtue is imparted. But, you know, anybody can stand in the Word of God, claim their healing and walk in it. Because it's part of the atonement. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Who believes he's a faithful witness? The firstborn from the dead. Who believes that? Jesus, he's risen, amen. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. Oh, wait a minute, hold on. I didn't get that in Sunday school. I didn't get that from Pastor So-and-so. Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Well, what's going on? You're trying to tell me he's the ruler over kings. So why is Sleepy Joe doing what he does. Why is Zelensky and Putin taking us to the brink of nuclear war if Jesus is their boss? Amen? Jesus, are you not doing your job? Because it says here you're the ruler, the governor, the, the, the boss, the lord, the king over all other kings. here's the thing folks we need to read on to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood if we look at verse 6 and has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen well if he's made us kings that means and this is the crux of it. If he's made us kings, that means we have got something to say in the governance of the earth. Because you're not made a king just to sit there and look pretty. We don't have a constitutional monarchy in heaven. We're all just figureheads. You know, he gives us a crown, but oh, come on. It's just for show. It's just to make us feel good about ourselves. It's just, it's just a wee blessing. Amen? In fact, Revelation chapter 5, it says he's made us king and priest, and we shall reign on the earth. If you're not exercising your function as a king, you're not living 20% of your life as a Christian. Made us kings, and what's that other one? Priests. What, is, what do priests do? They stand in the gap and minister as a bridge between God and the people. Now I know the Bible says there's one God, one mediator, sorry, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But the man Christ Jesus is calling priests into office to mediate and intercede for the earth and the people of the earth. Amen. Jesus is the high priest, which means there's loads of other priests. And the job of a priest is to go before God and say, did you know what's happening in Ukraine, Lord? Did you know what's happening in Britain with people dying because they can't pay their bills? <coughs> the governance is in his hands. All authority and dominion is in his hands. But he then says, go ye therefore. And in my name and in my authority and make decrees as kings. And make intercession as priests. Do your job. Because I've called you into the same function in office as I am in before my father. You know what he says? Greater things than these shall you do. Who's, hands up if you're doing the greater things. Well, if you're not, there's still a lot 
further to go, isn't there? And that's what he's calling us into. The, thing, the realm of the greater things. Now, let's just close with this. What sort of time do you have left? Right, yeah, okay, it's another 90 minutes, that's fine. Um, praise the Lord. We'll just do this bit very quickly and then we'll, we'll finish. After the death of Moses, God called Joshua. And Moses, remember, had that big power rod. God said to Moses, you're going to do things and wonders with that rod. And you get the implication from the text that it wasn't when God tells me to use it, it was if you can use it whenever you want. Imagine the Lord gave you a big stick right now and says, whoever you point that to, all the, the demons will come out of them. Or they'll get healed. Or, you know, your magic wand, folks. Amen. We talk about abracadabra and Aladdin's lamp. God said to Moses, you're getting a rod, that, that rod in your hand. You can do signs and wonders with it. And when Moses stood at the side of the Red Sea, God says, why do you cry to me? Lift up your rod. Amen. You've already got it. So when Joseph's called, oh my glory, shaka, mundo, yo, glory, glory, glory. The only question I have, Lord, is am I getting my own rod or is, am I going to get Moses' rod? Am I getting the upgrade rod or am I getting Moses' rod? And God says, no, you've got five books of the law. Don't let them depart from your mouth. That's your rod. God told Joshua to meditate his word day and night. And by the way, he only had five books. You and I have got 66. And if you're a Greek Orthodox, you've got many more. This meant the word was not to depart from Joshua's mouth. What was happening? Why, why this process? Why did God not say to Joshua, here's a rod? Well, first of all, rods that do signs and wonders can very quickly become idols that people worship. Amen? And God wanted... Joshua to embody the word himself. Not just say, oh, I've got a, a rod here. And if I wave at your rod, he'd. Amen. In order to function at the level of leadership required to lead a nation, Joshua's mind had to be renewed. See, God said, I've got a better plan than rods. What for Moses, what for Aaron. But all that turn into snakes and back. That's, that's a former era. Your God is saying what we used to get do. That we were, to, you know, we used to say, oh, that, that's, that's cutting edge. No, we move on with the Lord to his new thing. Joshua had to think God's thoughts and speak God's word. Keep my word in your mouth. To lead effectively, to be a king, in other words. Your mouth, mind and heart must be flooded with a higher dimension of reality and flooded with the wisdom that comes from above. You see, just to talk about kings, and what I'm saying to you today is this. If you want to function in the realm of kings and minister to kings, and, and you know, one king can change the lives of thousands and thousands. of. If you got an audience today with Liz Truss and she accepted what you said, that would affect millions. And we need people. Your Billy Graham functioned in that, didn't he? I've known men, Arthur Blessett and others, that functioned, that they had access to throne rooms, they had access to presidential offices, and these people would listen. And if we believe what we're being told recently, Billy Graham had the, king, the, the queen's ear. And very possibly led her to saving faith in Christ. And look at the influence. You, you must be flooded with a higher dimension in your thinking. To reign in life by Jesus Christ and minister to all men. Not just kings, we're not called just to kings. You need what the world cannot provide you. You need a resource. You need a source that the world can't give you. You can read management books, leadership books, public speaking books, all of these things. None of them will equip you to be a leader, a shepherd, a pastor, or, or just an effective Christian. Oh, I've, I've, I've been in public uh, speaking classes. Oh, I've, I've had elocution classes. You can tell I have, haven't you? Can't you, sorry. 
Cannot you? Folks, none of them will equip you to preach the gospel or to lead men to Christ. Your Bible, and we're closing in a minute, your Bible is not just a manual full of good ideas and principles and, oh yeah, that sounds really clever. Oh yes, amen. Sadly, a lot of Christians, that's how they view the Bible. It's like a suggestion box. Amen. It's not just a manual for living. It is a portal to glory dimensions. When you open this book, you're opening a portal to glory. Its words are spirit, power, and life to every part of you, spirit, soul, and body. When you take his words and ingest them, when you speak his words, when you take them into you, it changes every part of you and infuses you with glory. I don't believe there's going to be a people that his glory shall be seen upon you and the glory's going and, and it's a people that don't even know where their Bible is. That's not going to happen, folks. Isaiah 60 is for people who are in love with the word of God. If you're going to walk amongst the kings and leaders of the earth, you need to understand that kings and nobles have no time for small-minded people. For small-minded men and women talking about rubbish, talking about what's happening in EastEnders, talking about nonsense. Did you see Jesse doing at the shop last night? That's not where kings and leaders are. Amen. And if you're going to impact this world for Jesus, you need to have a higher dimension of thinking and speaking and functioning. Because you're here as an ambassador. You're not going to go to the chippy tonight and rub shoulders with the ambassador of France. Or the US ambassador. But you in for? I heard they do a good day, cotton chips here. That's not going to happen. Why? Because ambassadorial level is different. Now ambassadors are not just sent to kings and leaders, they're sent to all men. So are you. So it's not wrong to speak to the poor. In fact, it's part of your calling. But you don't do it as somebody who is downtrodden yourself. You do it as an ambassador of a higher kingdom. Because you're there to lift people out of the darkness, the poverty, the sickness, the hopelessness. Jesus, that, that wonderful hymn, help of the helpless. You can't help the helpless if you're helpless yourself. You have to be a helper, not, a, not help. Anyway, we'll close this. <clears throat> to reach leaders in the seven mountains of culture, you will need to speak at their level. You'll need to be in their world. Like what I was saying about in the football realm. It's, you know, footballers don't hang out. I said this to you. Footballers, highly paid footballers, they may have grown up in Postal, in Milton, in Castle Milk. But when they go into that realm of 10,000, 25,000, 100,000 pounds a week, they're not hanging about with wee Jakey for Castle Milk anymore. And, and oh, uh, let's go to a pub crawl. Because their body is a temple. Listen, folks. Their body is a temple. What's professional footballers and athletes told today? Your body is a temple. You're not going to take drugs. You're not going to eat fish suppers. You're not going on a pub crawl. Your body has to be set apart for a higher purpose. Playing for the Glasgow Rangers. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, you understand or, or any other team. You and I are in Team Jesus. Amen? And, and our body's a temple. Anyway, I'm going off in tangents. Let me just finish this off. Only the Word of God saturating your inner man. Because you just continually speak it, meditate it, study it, pour it into your mouth, pour it into your ears. Look in your eye gate, your ear gate, all that. Saturating your inner man. And the power of the Holy Ghost upon you in anointing, in equipping and empowering, <coughs> can equip you 
for this, for this function of functioning as a king. Amen? It ought to be for all of us. We're going to close. It ought to be that the next time, and I say this, folks, and I mean this, because I know that God will God will probably do this to some of you. We, we've got friends that have bumped into Nicola Sturgeon more than once. Next time you bump into Nicola Sturgeon, you have a word in due season. And that's not, oh, repent, you hussy, you horrible folks. We're not there for that. Amen. If you think we're there for that, we, we need to go back to kindergarten classes. But a word of wisdom spoken through you. Yes. A word that makes who you are, but more importantly who he is, winsome, attractive. I need to know more about what you're saying. I, I, I need to hear more about this. Uh, can we meet for coffee? We need to start believing that God has called us to these things. Amen. We need to start believing that God has given you a message. It might not be first minister prime. It might, it might just be the boss in your, your, your company. It might just be a leader in, in, in Glasgow City Council. It might be your local councillor. But somebody somewhere who has decision-making powers needs to hear the wisdom of God coming out of your lips that you have developed there because you've spent time before him. Preparing yourself to speak to kings and leaders. Not just the ordinary man, but those who have influence over the ordinary man. The gatekeepers of society. Jesus said when you get into a town or village, look for the good men. Now that's a little bit old fashioned. What does that mean? What it means is the person in that community who's trusted. Because if he's trusted, if he says we're holding a meeting, I'm inviting everybody because David Lawson's coming to speak. They'll all be there because he, he has the power and influence to get them there. And that's what happened with the reformers. They marched into cities and said to the magistrates, bow the knee, and they said, folks, you need to come and hear these guys. Just obey what they say. That's what happened in the Reformation. That's how it spread like wildfire. Anyway, let me finish this. Folks, this is not about human ingenuity or skill sets. Um, or your ability, your talent. Yes, God can use your talents and abilities. But true leadership is not based on these. Being a king and priest in the earth, it's not based on how well you can, you know, play the trumpet or, you know, how, whatever it is, your skill set. The standard for leadership the standard for being an effective Christian, which is the same thing, has forever been set with Joshua. Meditating what God has said is the key to power, authority, prosperity and success. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do all the things that it says and that you shall have good success. God's word gives every one of us access to the highest realm of wisdom and power. It is the source of all we will ever require to function as kings and leaders on the earth. If you're going to speak to kings, if you're going to be in the company of kings, you have to be in their wavelength. But what you'll discover if you fill yourself with God's word is this. They will recognize in you that you're from a higher realm. That your thinking is higher. That your words are somehow greater. That what's, what you're carrying, what's on you, is something they've maybe never encountered, but they want more. They must have it. They must have what you're carrying. And it gives you an opportunity then to tell them, it ain't me. It's him. Amen. He is the one that you've been looking for. It doesn't matter how great you are, how rich you are, how wealthy, how influential, how powerful. It doesn't matter if you lead nations or you just got a wee business in a back street industrial estate or whatever it is. 
Everybody's looking for the same thing. Which is life that comes from a higher place. Reality from a higher dimension. Wisdom that, you know, is just greater than anything. That Everybody's looking for that. They just don't know that that's what they're looking for. Amen. And we as ambassadors of Christ are there to share with them the one that they're looking for. Because it's not a system, it's not principles, it's not a, a manual, it's a person. We all know that. They are the ones that need to hear that. Lord bless you folks.